0: Welcome to the Racisms Podcast.
1: We're your hosts, Jaslyn and Lisa. We decided that this world could use more cross cultural conversations that seek healing over division, understanding over ignorance, and a better, and a better world, and a better world overall. overall. Welcome back to the Racisms Podcast where we have cross-cultural conversations to make this world a better place. I'm Jaslyn, co-host of the podcast with Lisa. Howdy! And today we have a special guest joining us. We have gotten some great feedback on the quality of the audio of the podcast and how professional it sounds. And today's guest is the reason that our podcast sounds so good. Kyle Carson is the show's producer and editor. Kyle, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you for having me, and I appreciate all the feedback we've gotten. It's very... Very good to hear.
0: Yeah, thanks so much, Kyle, for joining us today on this episode. Um, For all of our listeners, this episode will mark the last one of our first season. I know we didn't really start off saying we would have a season, but I think we've um, covered a lot of topics um, and there's some other things that we want to pursue for a little bit. So you can definitely expect us back in the six to ten week mark, but we wanted to have a special episode for the season closer Um, And this promises to be a great conversation. We're going to get to know a little bit more about Kyle as he addresses all of our closing questions from each of our episodes from the season. Um, But first, Kyle, why don't you tell us about how you identify and why you're excited to join us for this conversation?
2: Thank you very much, Lisa. I am very ecstatic for this conversation. This whole this whole project has been a joy to work on. Um, I've known Jaslyn for a long time. We we met freshman year in college, and um, in, in, as engineering majors. And um, you know, when she told me that she was doing the podcast with you, it just I was just like, oh, this is amazing. And 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 just hearing you all's conversations has just been a joy to hear your chemistry your your honesty just the raw nature of of the t- the content and where each of you are in your learning process in your in your your levels of activism and things like that it's just been really great to hear um, and it's it's been a fun challenge for me um I identify as a black man a cisgender black man um, and I that's been a journey um, i'm I'm biracial I'm mixed uh, and so you know, I used to always... People always used to ask me, how do you identify? And I say, well, do you want the long answer or the short answer? And the short answer was I'm black and white. And the long answer, I got into, like, all the history of, like, my mom being Irish and Italian and blah, blah, blah. And so there, there's all that mixed in. But um, but I recognize that this, that society and the world sees me as a black man, and so I, I identify as such. Um, but it, it took a long, a long time to get to that point.
1: Great. So, Kyle... Uh, We wanted to, you know, get to know more about you on this podcast. We think you have, you know, great perspectives on the topics that we've covered. And you suggested that one way to do that is for you to kind of cover the different questions that we posed to the audience at each of, at the end of each of our episodes so far. And I thought that was such a great idea. So let's start with our first episode, which was the Impetus to Empathy uh, that was the episode where Lisa talked about her reaction to the movie Just Mercy. Ah, uh, so Kyle, have you watched Just Mercy, and did it have any effect on you, like it did to Lisa?
2: I have. I actually saw Just Mercy in the theater, and that was a great experience. Back when that was pre-COVID, obviously that was a a good experience to see that movie on the big screen. And honestly, my reaction was similar to yours, Jaslyn. It was. A film that I saw that told a new story, but of a similar tale. It was a similar, you know, a new example of how unfairly black Americans are treated in this country. Uh, and I had not heard of Brian Stevenson. I had not heard of the Equal Justice Initiative. And so like you, I, I did some research and was like, wow, why did I not know about this earlier? Mm-hmm. Um, but it really just kind of added more fuel to the fire for me in terms of like all right here's this yet again more examples of how this country uh treats us and um yeah so that, that was kind of my initial reaction
1: mm. great yeah it was like it was a great story but it was like not earth chattering you know so that's a, it's a familiar story for those that are Familiar with the Black struggle in this country. Yeah. Um, So, were there any other movies or documentaries that you would recommend?
2: Yeah. So, there's two of my favorites. Um, One is called Something the Lord Made, which I believe is only on HBO, unfortunately. Um, Well, it's fortunate if you have it. But um, Something the Lord Made is one of the. It's a really, really great movie. It's it's another one of those tales about you know a a black, creative who um, was not originally. Giving credit for the work that he did. Um, this is about Vivian Thomas and the and the origin of open heart surgery, and it's just a phenomenal story. It really is, um, and so I, I definitely recommend that one. The other one is not really a, a story about race or anything. It's it's called V for Vendetta. Have you have you seen that one? No. Oh man. So <laughs> this this one I remember seeing back in college, and I've seen it a few times since. And oh boy, it's, it's, it, it's one of those movies that terrifies mm. you about a, a world that that isn't here yet. Mm. And I say yet, because what's happening right now is terrifyingly close mm. to the world that is painted in V for Vendetta. So I highly recommend that one as well. It takes place in the UK and it just, it's, it's one of those like po- post apocalyptic mm. film. And <laughs> I, it might be triggering to watch it at this point. It was it was really entertaining ten fifteen years ago, but now it's it, it might be a little too close to home to be honest.
1: Hmm. Right? Do I want to be scared even more? I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready for that.
2: I mean, honestly, it's like it's like reading it's like reading 1984. It's like it's you. It's one of those things that you just need to be aware of, just because it's like. Have you all watched Handmaid's Tale?
1: I read the book. I read the book and watched a couple episodes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I mean, that is like a triggering story, but it's also, you kind of need to know what that could look like because a few a few turns in history and we're there, you know? So V for Vendetta is a, is a top recommendation for sure.
0: All right, thank, thanks for those extra recommendations. We'll definitely put those um, in the show notes. I think we'll move on to episode two, uh, which was Impetus to Speak, and that's where um, Jazlyn... Talked us through, you know, why she decided that this podcast um, was something that she wanted to do this year. Um, and the question that we asked at the end of uh, that episode was, are you having conversations about race, but with different people?
2: Yeah, I kind of like Jaslyn. I have kind of came up in a family that always talked about race and always talked about equality and justice and things of that nature. So that's kind of just been a, a background Conversation in my life, kind of all throughout, and that really got heightened to another level in college when I was one of the earlier earlier members of a of an, an activist organization that was was created, you know, a few months before I joined, which was called Community Roots, and it was a multicultural activist organization that was really about justice in any form. Uh, so we had con- conversations about a lot of controversial topics. We talked about, um, you know, Darfur back then, and, and we talked about the war in Iraq and the war, you know, various economic issues that were taking place. Um, and so that was, you know, I, I became a, the, one of the first, um, well, I was one of the co-presidents after the founders for that organization. And that was a, a very speaking role. So I, I've kind of, in college, I kind of got comfortable speaking about issues and stepping into more of a conversational and a leadership role on things of that nature. And actually, I really need to give a shout out to the Nimburu Cultural Center, because that was really my home away from home on campus. You know, there's the Stamp Student Union, which, you know, is the student union for everybody, had food and everything else. But Nimbru was the place to be for the black and brown students, um, at least for the ones that I, I kicked it with most often. Uh, that was the that was the place where the Black Student Union held, held its events, the Latino Student Union, the African Student Union, any most of the cultural groups had their events there. And I got involved at, a, you know, right, right early in college uh, freshman year, I got involved with the leadership series under the brilliant leadership of Keisha, Keisha Robertson Jamal. Um and and later Solomon Kamijang, I got involved with him and Dr. Ziegler. uh, all, The whole staff there was was extraordinarily influential to me. And um, yeah, just just getting involved with the Blackmail Initiative and all those things really helped prep my leadership. Um, even just in freshman year. Oh, and, and if I were to think of one activity or event that was my impetus to speak, it was um when I visited New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina. I had a professor, Dr. Jared Ball, who's now teaching at Morgan State University. I was taking an African-American studies course with him, and Hurricane Katrina had hit in August of 05, and I was in my second semester as a a sophomore, I guess, or freshman. Shoot, I don't even know. Yeah, sophomore. And uh, he was basically saying, like, you know, Katrina happened. Black people are suffering way more than anybody else. Does it sound familiar? COVID? Yes. And... And he was like, "You know, nobody's doing anything or whatever." and I was like, "Well, wait spring break's coming up let me let me go down there and um so i I went down for spring break and we got at homes we and the way we went down we went down through uh Alabama. We first met up with the organization in Selma mm-hmm. Selma, Alabama, but the flight and the bus route that that I took to get down there we we were in Birmingham, so we went to see the Sixteenth Street Baptist Church, which is where the four little girls were killed um so we went to visit that church and then we took we went down to Selma. And in Selma, we we walked across the Edmund Pettus Bridge, and we saw the jail where Dr. King was was held. We saw a museum that like re that reenacted parts of what slavery in the Middle Passage were like, and then we went to New Orleans. <laughs> so we were like prepped with like we were primed with all of this civil rights and history, and then we got to New Orleans and we were gutting homes. We were seeing the difference in the levee levee construction between the Lower Ninth Ward, where, where where predominantly lower like you know lower income African American communities live. Compared to middle class communities which which are mixed by the way, and so you know not all the black people were poor there the gentilly and other areas were where more affluent black people lived were better protected and then of course, the French quarter had the highest highest quality levies mm-hmm. and the most protection and things like that so seeing the economic the, the differences in the economic investment around, along the racial lines and seeing the, the housing segregation where it took place was very jaw-dropping to me and eye-opening to me. And that was really what what triggered me to really want to become more vocal about the the injustices that were happening.
1: Yeah, Katrina was crazy.
2: Yeah, it really was. I forgot to mention, I also... The the first impetus to speak actually was before Katrina. It was when Bush won the election. And and, uh, Eminem had the song Mosh, and it was like an anti-Bush song. Like, me and my roommate created an organization called Project MOSH, and we made MOSH an acronym for Make Ourselves Heard. And we made shirts, and the shirts had a white um, a white bar on the back of the shirt so you could write down whatever issue was important to you. And we went to the inauguration of Bush in January of 20, uh, of 2005, and we protested. We had about 20 or 30 people, and we, we protested his inauguration with, with issues of, of our concern written on the back of our shirts. Part of my impetus to speak, I guess, was the election of president Bush. Um, and actually that was, (laughs) I forgot my summer job the summer of 2004 was canvassing for the democratic national convention, democratic national committee. Um, they sent me throughout DC, Maryland, Virginia. Um, and I was raising funds to for the quote unquote redefeat Bush campaign. And, uh, so I was heavily involved with the political process on the ground at that point. And then for Bush to go ahead and win in 2004, was was just jarring to me. I I didn't take that one very well. So that's when, so when Eminem came out with that Mosh song and it was very anti-Bush and very anti like, you know, it was a very, it was a very activating song for me. My roommate and I came up with that idea and created this little group and and we we protested the inauguration trying to make ourselves heard. So Mm. that that I guess would be the first impetus to speak. And then Katrina was was definitely the second.
1: Yeah, if we need evidence of that Project Mosh shirt, I have it in my collection.
2: Do you?
1: Yes. Nice. <laughs> awesome. I told you I collect t-shirts. Awesome. I take this seriously. <laughs>
2: I don't even know if I have mine. I might still have mine. I don't know. <laughs> I appreciate that. That's amazing.
1: So, yeah. I can send a picture to Lisa for the, for the Instagram. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Because I told
1: you to fight along. Follow me as I lead
2: through the darkness As I provide just enough spark that we need to proceed Carry on, give me hope, give me strength Come with me and I won't steer you wrong Put your faith and your trust as I guide us through the fog To the light at the end of the tunnel We gon' fight, we gon' charge, we gon' storm We gon' march through the smoke, We gon' march through the marsh Take us right through the doors, come on
1: Um, I want I kinda wanna go back to you saying you, you had conversations these type of conversations with your family growing up. Um, was it a similar conversation with your mother who you said is white versus your father's family who is black, or is it you all talk together?
2: Good question. Yeah, so the quick answer to that question is that these topics came up on both sides of the family and and sometimes the both sides of the family work together at the same time, um, although not all that much. But but it did happen, and yeah, everybody would talk about social justice, um, you know, politics and all that kind of stuff. And you know, I, I would say that you know you could be a little, you could speak about things a little differently when you're with the black family because you know there's there's a little bit more of a common understanding. Whereas with when you're with the white family, um, you know the perspective is a little bit different. I think I think my, my white family is in favor of social justice and all that generally speaking um but the perspective is a little different so you kind of approach it a little differently but i could have these conversations with anybody in my family for the most part um and it's just a matter it's a little slight difference in terms of like how the conversation would take place um but i think everybody for the most part had similar goals in mind and maybe disagreed on some some parts of how to approach it or whatever but but yeah i think i think in general it was it was it was a it was a healthy environment to grow up in in terms of just having that political discourse kind of on both sides of the family um and and kind of just coming up coming of age with that kind of stuff being being talked about but I guess you asked specifically about my parents too um so my parents both they grew up in Rhode Island, which is not on anybody's map <laughs> unless you're from there but Rhode island's a really interesting place it's got a lot of interesting history. It's actually the the only state in the, in the nation that has plantation in the type ti- in the official title of the state. Mm. And, uh, and that's actually now, now that's looking at, they're looking at changing that, mm-hmm. but um, it, it's got some diversity and all that. It's, it's typically a blue state. Um, it's, you know, typically votes pretty, pretty left wing, but um, it's definitely got some conservative elements to it as well. Um, and both of my parents are from there. And while they were in college at the university of Rhode Island, they were heavily involved with the anti-apartheid movement, uh, and this was in the late '70s. And they also were involved with Uhuru Sasa, which is called Freedom Now, which uh, is, is was kind of like there was their organization for activism for for Pan African, you know, activity and stuff like that. So both of my parents were involved with that um, in the late mm-hmm. '70s. So that and I. So growing up, I heard about their stories of of working with you know. I, things of that nature, they, I I know they worked to get a speaker from South Africa to speak to this, speak to the student body and to the administration of the university about divesting uh, school Mm -hmm. funds and school involvement from South African businesses that were involved in supporting apartheid. So um, in their collegiate experience, they were very involved with that. Um, My, my white, the white side of my family is, is, is all, they're all immigrants. Mm -hmm. Um, they were, they all descend from immigrants. I should say, um, my, my white family's from Ireland, French Canada, and, and it's Italy. And they all came around the turn of the 20th century. So, um, that, that history in and of itself is a little bit different, um, than, than white people that have been here for, for longer than that. Um, my, my black side originally is from the South, but, um, made, made their way up to Rhode Island. And, uh, and anyway, so there's just a lot of history that I learned about through, through their experience. My mom told me the story that when my parents graduated from college in 1980, they had called an apartment. Com- they were spending a lot of time looking for apartments to live in. My mom called a particular apartment complex, and they said that they had a few spaces available. So they both show up to get an apartment. And the lady at the front desk is confused and says, oh, I'm sorry, we don't have any places to stay for you to stay. And my mom said, I just called you 10 minutes ago. You said you had two places. And the lady was all got red and was very confused and didn't know what to do. And they got the manager and eventually they figured something out. But clearly my dad was not welcome there Mm -hmm. being a black man. Mm -hmm. And this is 1980 in Montgomery County, Maryland, 12 years after it was illegal to do this. And this is by the way, a blue state. And that to me, and so I remember learning that as a kid. So, I mean, I had no illusions about, the fickleness of of white liberal liberalism and all that i mean i mean you can see it in in rhode island you see it in other places some of the most vicious hate crimes took place in chicago in detroit and places like that so while it was kind of surprising to hear that at that age that that kind of let me know a lot about how this country operates
1: Hmm. yeah and when you when you say nineteen eighty. And then you say 12 years after it was illegal. I'm like, wait, I'm trying to calculate 12 years. That's not a long time at all. So, yeah, the 80s, you know, we kind of we kind of forget how close Mm -hmm. these things are to our present day. Like the 60s weren't that long ago.
2: Yeah, they weren't that long ago. But if you think about it, how long did it take for them to criminalize marijuana when they did the war on drugs? How how long did it take for that to become heavily enforced? Mm. Like that was overnight. Right, they started they started right. cracking down on drug use overnight. But when the fair housing law gets passed in 1968, how how long did it take them to to start mm-hmm. cracking down on that? Never. They they don't really. I mean, there, there's some there's some, you know, people who are trying to hold people accountable to that degree, but really it's not being enforced. If you compare that to the way the the quote unquote mm-hmm. war on drugs is being enforced, so 12 years isn't that long ago, but it's long enough for that. for the blue state like Maryland to have some kind of policy Mm. to lock people up who are doing that. Right. But that's not the case. Mm.
1: Yes. Okay. So, um, the next episode that we did was how we identify where we had Cynthia come on to talk about how we self identify and what that means in our lives. And Kyle, you, you kind of went into it when we asked you how you identified, but do you have anything else to add
2: Yeah. How I identify has been a journey. I definitely did have an an identity crisis as we talked about with Nina a little bit. Um, and I, I kind of came into my blackness. I I kind of, I kind of existed as a, as a person kind of almost through middle school. And I just kind of had friends made friends with whoever I was in class with. And, and I kind of looked at my blackness and was like, Hey, I'm black. Like I need to like understand what it is to be black. And so I, I definitely made more of a conscious effort to, um, You know, reach out to and be friends with Mm -hmm. with other black kids in my school, and and I really like poured myself into learning more about it. I listened to more, like I listened to Go Go, I listened to, you know, more hip hop, and I always liked, I always liked reggae. Um, and so I, I kind of just got more into like all the different aspects of blackness. I didn't I didn't get into the TV thing. I di- I didn't catch up on Fresh Prince and A Different World and all mm-hmm. like Martin, <laughs> all that stuff that everybody's like, how did you not watch these shows? And I'm like, I just didn't. So I, I I'm still working on a catching up there. <laughs> but but, um, but so yeah, I, I I identify as black now. But it came as a after a long journey of just like I wanted to represent everything that I am. Uh, my mom is is part Irish, French Canadian, and and Italian and my dad is black um and he he his family had always thought that our our my great grandfather was full-blooded Cherokee i did an african ancestry test mm. which shows that that is not true it shows that my y chromosome comes from a portuguese man which i was not expecting <laughs> um and that means that that portuguese man probably fathered a son in the continent of africa some at some point in the 14 or 1500s and that person was eventually brought over a descendant of that person was brought over as an enslaved person, like maybe a hundred or 200 years later, which is insane to me. So that, that, that entire concept is just mind boggling. Um, so anyway, my, my identity has just been a long journey of, of trying to represent all the pieces of who I am. Um, I used to say that I'm half the United nations and half who they try to keep out. Um, cause I thought that was a, f- a funny way to, to, to word it. But I, I also recognize that this country sees me as a black man. And, um, I, 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 I operate in that way, knowing that that's knowing that that's the, the, the way this country is, is, mm-hmm. um, is constructed. And, and I, and I am constantly trying to do the best I can to, um, you know, be an advocate for justice for black Americans, but also, you know, for women and for LGBTQIA people, everything. I mean, w- once you realize that once you realize you are a descendant of victims of injustice, you realize that there's a lot of similarities to others that have also been victims themselves or descend from victims of injustice. And you you seek solidarity with them and you you just, you you take it upon yourself to try to, you know, push that, push that needle forward. Oh, one, one, one part of that episode that I thought was interesting. You you asked one of the questions you asked was, um, what word you would not respond to. Mm, Right. And for me, the word mulatto is as bad as the N-word for me. Uh, and that's because that mm. word comes from the word mule, which is literally the combination of a donkey and a horse, which are two separate species, and a mule is sterile. So mm. the use of that term to describe a human who is the descendant of other humans Is just utterly offensive. And I detest the use of that word in any context. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. it is like, it's just, to me, it's just as bad as the N word. Like it's like, and I, and and the N word amongst black people, that's, that's its own thing. Like that's, that's its own thing. Uh, But I'm saying like, you know, nobody, nobody should be using the word mulatto. In my opinion, that's just a disgusting word. It should not be uttered by Mm -hmm. anybody.
1: Wow. I didn't realize the, the history of that word. Um, it was used officially. It was. You know, and I think I had also mentioned it in the Tracing My Roots episode, because when you look at censuses, sometimes that's, you know, that was a term that was listed for for mixed people yeah. back in the 1800s. But yeah, that's really interesting.
0: Uh, so Kyle, you mentioned uh, some of your, how you um, sought out uh, friends, black friends in school. So can you talk? To us, a little more about your friendship circles growing up, since that was the next two episodes that we did—grade school and college and beyond.
2: Yeah, so my friendship circles were a reflection of the community that I grew up in, of course, which is similar to what each of you mentioned in your episodes about it. Uh, my parents stayed in Montgomery County, really, since they moved down to the area, and where they ended up settling—you um, know—they were—they bought a home in 1991, and my mom is still there now. And so basically all through from kindergarten through high school, I was in the same neighborhood. The interesting thing that took place though, was that the neighborhood neighborhood was diverse. There were, there were black Asian white Latinx people in in that neighborhood, but it was way more white then than it is now. Uh, so my neighborhood kind of experienced a degree of white flight and this is Montgomery County too. I know Lisa, you in your episode, you mentioned your family leaving Philadelphia to the suburbs. Um, and, and we see a lot of white flight, you know, in the, from a you know urban out into the suburbs, type of situation, so I thought it was interesting that that your family kind of participated in a white flight to a degree, um, and that's not an indictment. That's just that's something that that just happens. A lot of people are are you know convinced about like the, the school systems and things of that nature, and they they want to leave. Certain areas that have a bad reputation, um, and in Jasmine's case, you 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 were bused to a community to a school that was not in your community, um, that had better better ratings from a school standpoint. But as you mentioned, your, the school that you could have gone to was was actually very good. It was more black and brown, but it was very good. However, the ratings didn't really reflect that, and I think that's really important when when families like 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 Lisa's family are trying to move. You know, they're looking at ratings and other research. You know, those ratings might not actually reflect the actual performance of the schools. They might actually reflect more so the demographics, which is problematic. I digress. Um, So my friendship circles did change as as the complexion of my neighborhood literally changed. Um, So um, I guess I would say through middle school. I did have mostly white and Asian friends. I had a couple of black friends, but mostly white and Asian friends. That's partly because of the neighborhood, but it's also because, like Jaslyn mentioned, there was a degree of tracking as well. And so, to divide, despite the diversity in the neighborhood, um, I was tracking towards like honors and AP courses. And as much as that was to, due to performance, you know, there's also a, you know possibly a problematic trend in terms of a racial issue here because. Black and brown students were very underrepresented in those more rigorous honors tracking classes. So my friends, as a reflection of both the neighborhood and my classes, were more white and Asian. However, when I got to high school, um, I definitely... Was confronted with 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 blackness in a new way, and I and I and I really wanted to d- embrace that part of who I am and that part of my culture, um, and so I definitely like as I mentioned earlier, I threw myself into learning the culture, the, getting into the music. Um, didn't do so well with the TV part, but um, I, one one moment in particular stands out where I was in uh, I think it was in like a chemistry class, freshman, freshman probably sophomore year, and I had a black friend on my right and a lef- and a white friend on my left, and they would go back and forth reiterating clips from a Cat Williams stand up I think it was and it was like black people do this white people do that black people do this white people do that and i was like i have a black dad and a white mom and none of them do any of that <laughs> so i was kind of like you know it was it was kind of just a, a shock about all the cultural norms and stereotypes associated with it and the hilarity that that you know comedians make out of the, out of all that um and in, in my upbringing was kind of racially agnostic we kind of we kind of had both races present, but there wasn't really a strong cultural push one way or the other. Um, And so, you know, that's a reflection of a couple of things, Um, but I won't get get all the way into that. But basically, my my friendship circles were mostly white and Asian, but then I I definitely... You know, I, I definitely developed a lot more black friendships. Um, and I also happened through sports, too. I played I played baseball in high, in high school and a little bit of football and stuff like that. So um, through through all of those activities, I, I learned to I, I had a lot of um, a diverse group of friends. I was also in band, too. And there was a, a diverse set of folks in band. I, I got to fu- I got to meet all the band nerds and everything like that, too. So that was fun. And there are plenty of black kids in the band, too. I mean, it, like the diverse when, when a school system is that diverse, you know, you're going to find people in every in every single part of the school. So it's not like band was the only white thing and, and, and sports was all black people. Um, it was it, the diversity was literally throughout every facet of the school. And my high school, by the way, was Paint Branch High School in Burtonsville, Maryland. So def, school de- definitely deserves a shout out. And, and by the time I went to college, I was definitely fully engrossed in in blackness and and, and particularly from a social justice standpoint, I mentioned how my parents kind of set the stage for that, you know, in terms of um, you know, their involvement in politics and stuff like that in, in college. I saw college as, as a point for me to do the same, so I was, immediately got involved with the Black Student Union and, and Leadership Series, which I mentioned earlier, so I definitely had a strong foundation of, of black friends in college, although I, I had a diverse group of friends as well there too. Um, that diversity never really ended, um, especially with the group like Community Roots, which was multicultural, So, um, but yeah, I definitely had a, a much more, uh, a more black foundation of, of friends in college.
1: So what about what about now? How do you how do you go about making friends post, you know, post-college in this work, work environment, adulting? How do you how do you make friends in, in your adult?
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I kind of just hang on to the friends that I've had. I, I, I've only made a handful of friends since since college, really. I mean, work was a place, I, you know, I went into work thinking that I couldn't make friends there because a I was hella political. And I didn't want my politics to come out because I figured working in a corporate environment, that would not be the majority opinion. So I just was like, let me just not express myself in any way. So I didn't I didn't plan to make friends at work. Um, I eventually did. But that was a slow and long process. So I do have a few friends from work, but yeah, I just held on to good friendships from from college, mostly college and college and high school. Um, And so most of my friends, most of my friends are black. Um, some of my friends are mixed as well. I have a couple of white friends, one from college, one from uh, one from work. I have a couple of Asian friends from the high school days. So I need to get back in touch with them. Um, and unfortunately, one of my good Latino friends passed away. Yeah, I just kind of hold on to the people that I trust and I know. And I kind of let my friendship circles expand my friendships further um, with social outings and stuff like that. Pre-COVID, of course. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, I guess I could take a couple of lessons from you all with all the clubs you're in. So that sounds like a good way to meet people as well. But, uh, yeah, mostly just expanding the friend circle organically, I guess.
1: Tell me about your white friend from work. How did that precipitate? Was it, you know, did he say something to you that kind of made you think you could open up to him or trust him? Like, how did that work?
2: Good question. So, so when I started my first job out of college, I actually started on the same day as this guy who'd become become a, a good white friend of mine. Um, and we realized it was also weird. Like our 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 moms were born in the same month, our dads were born in the same month, and they were married in the <laughs> same month. So there was just random weird connections. We were like, yeah, we're just we're we're kind of just like company brothers. It was just kind of <laughs> like a weird. There were so many similarities. It was weird. He's from a small town in Pennsylvania. And mm-hmm. didn't really know any black people growing up and went to went to a um went to penn state and he you know ex- was experiencing some black people there, but like it's easy to if you know it's at a large university you know it doesn't force you to interact with people that aren't 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 like you mm-hmm. uh, but there is opportunity for that and he, and he did he did do a little bit of that in college um and so with me he just you know we just kind of built up a rapport just hey and but at that time by the way, we were the youngest in the office at that mm. time. Um, the next mm. youngest person was like 10 or 15 years older than us. So we kind of stuck together just because of our youth, we were brand new. And so it kind of just, there was enough similarities. There was enough circumstantial things to facilitate a friendship that brought us to a point where we did eventually build up the comfort to talk about racial issues. And and, and he, and he would say, Hey, you know, I, I don't know if, I don't know how to ask this correctly. And I'm saying, Hey, don't worry about it. Just ask, ask it however you want to ask it and we can talk about it. So, mm. um, you know, we just kind of built that trust up and we were able to build a, a relationship where we can talk about things that, that, you know, challenges. And I'm able to ask him too, like, Hey, like when you see this news, like, what does this look like to you? Like, how do you react to this? How do how do you react to president Bush? Or how do you react to, cause, you know, that was <laughs> dating myself, but that's, that's, you know, what was going on back then. Mm-hmm. And so we were able to really learn a lot from each other uh, and, and each other's experience um, through that. And, and we also like baseball and other things too. So it was a, a lot of easy topics to discuss that, helped the friendship kind of just stay in safe territory, but it it built up the foundation so that we could get into uncharted waters.
1: Cool. So let's move on. The next episode that we did was having my mother on the show to fill in some of the gaps (laughs) of my memory of my childhood. Um, So Kyle, uh, do you think your parents shielded you from um things that may have happened to you or would happen to you because you're black or or any other protective action that your parents did that you would find out later?
2: No, I, I wouldn't say that they shielded us from things. In fact, I mean they kind of softly leaned into it, so I, I would say an example that comes up is uh, I think I was in first grade and I was reading follow, follow the drinking gourd in class and it acknowledged slavery and, and stuff like that and you know i guess you know my blabbermouth self i, I was talking about it and my brother who i guess was like f- 3 or 4 um he uh, he was like f- worried that like slavery would come back and they would get him like so he was and he was like young enough to worry about that and even to know that mm-hmm. it meant him too and my mom didn't try to say no it wouldn't be you she she just kind of like tried to comfort him like no that was a long time ago that that's gone it's not coming back nobody's coming to get you stuff like that um so it like you know in a moment like that you could say oh no 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 you wouldn't you wouldn't be implicated by that or whatever and and there wasn't necessarily that it was just it was just comforting the way a mother normally would about about a fear um but it acknowledged the reality of the of of the racial issues in the country at the same time we were shielded from economics <laughs> like we we weren't necessarily involved in how Things took place from an economic standpoint, um, and I think we were shielded from some from some racial issues in this from the perspective that we were in such a diverse community. We didn't have a whole lot of in your face racism since the people who, like I said, after the white flight, the people who chose to stay here or moved in wanted to be in a community like that. So we didn't really have a whole a whole lot of racism, um, and, and there, there were some examples, um, but. So there wasn't too, too much to shield us from. But if there were things that came up, we weren't shielded from it because we, we had the we had the lens. We didn't have that. We didn't have. I think, Jasmine you mentioned the rose colored glasses. Uh, we didn't have that. So we were able to perceive things on our own at a certain age. And we were able to, to understand things that were taking place. Um, hmm. And that's partly because of how they prepared us to kind of see when things took, when things might have had a racial um, racial undercurrent to them. So I would say no kind of just because they prepared us in general for for understanding that that's that that's a factor in the world
1: Mm, interesting Uh, oh go ahead lisa
0: i was gonna say you know if i mean i appreciate that your mom was honest and not colorblind quote-unquote colorblind and said and like you said you don't want to you don't want to be lied to right so it was maybe you know, I think for me as a parent, I would want to be more honest with my kids instead of continuing to be what I thought was right, which just colorblind.
2: Like, and, that, and that's the thing about, and, and I think you asked, you asked Serena this last, last time about, you know, the problems in the education system. And I think, you know, recently President Trump and a congressperson were talking about trying to get rid of slavery, get slavery out of the history books. Like, this is our history. And if anybody's honestly looking at our history, like it's it's never been comfortable for Black people to listen to history. Like it's not a comfortable thing. It's just not. And granted, there's a lot of great stories of Blackness throughout history. Unfortunately, those aren't told. But they, they, a lot of those stories come out of the, the strife and anguish and oppression that we've dealt with all this time. Which which it's a it's really a beautiful it's a tra- it's a beautiful story for sure. There's a lot of strength and power in it. But we got to be honest with what it is. So.
1: So Kyle, you have a son. Um, What do you think your son will face in terms of difficulties as a black child and what are you teaching him about his heritage?
2: Yeah, so he just turned seven and he knows that he's black. He knows he's a black boy and he knows that his mom and dad are black. Um, And my mom is white and he's perceived that as well, but that's not a problem and doesn't really conflict with him being black or his or that identity. And I think that's important because, for me, that was a, you know, the identity crisis thing. And 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 I think it's important for him to be comfortable in blackness and be be comfortable in that he is black. His his way of his view, his lens is black. The world will view him as black. One thing I didn't mention earlier is is that you know with the whole one drop rule, you know, that was something that the South implemented to to try to just say that anybody with one drop of black blood, quote unquote, was was black. And if you look back at the pictures of Homer A. Plessy. Who whose Supreme Court case constitutionalized separate but equal? Mm-hmm. That man looked white.
1: Yeah, I think he was one eighth. Yeah.
2: And black. Yeah, one eighth, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and and his case legal like legalized separate but equal, and that you had like that dude, <laughs> I would not have known he was black. But anyway, um, so, so yeah, he sees himself as black, and it's interesting because kids are so literal. I think you know, I think he was six at the time. He he, he was saying, but I'm, my skin isn't black. And I said, well, nobody's skin is black and nobody's skin is white. But this is this. These words are used Mm -hmm. to describe groups of people and a culture. And and we are we are we are people that are are called black. He's like, well, why are we called black? I was like, well, that's just that's kind of what we're called. And and we all descend from Africa. And, you know, we have brothers and sisters throughout the world who who have a have have distant but similar similar experiences as black people. Um, and so that's kind of what what he understands of it at the time. at At, at this time, uh, I haven't told him much of anything about George Floyd or anything like that. I mean, that it's kind of he knows he has a general understanding that that things weren't great for black people in history, and I guess at some point he'll learn that that history is is still now. And it looks a little different, but it's it's still true, and um, that'll be that'll be a, a a process for me as a parent and and for him as a child. And I'll I'll kind of. You know, that'll be a learning process for me, for, for sure.
0: Uh, so our, our next episode is, was Tracing Your Roots, where Jaslyn um, told us about uh, the research she was doing. She shared some of those with us and shared a little bit about, about her ancestry. Uh, you had mentioned earlier that you had done, you had did a ancestry test. So can you tell us more about um, that, that process, and um, what other things that you want to share about it?
2: Sure. Yeah, I did do Ancestry.com's family tree builder, the way Jaslin described in her episode, and I found some interesting records. I found immigration papers from my great grandfather coming over from Italy, which is really mm-hmm. cool. He came th- he came in through Ellis Island, so it was really cool to see that paperwork. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I, you know, and for the black side of my family, unfortunately, the records, as Jaslin as Jaslin described are pretty terrible I learned a lot from what Jaslyn did and heard the studies and so I, I I plan to kind of do a little bit more to kind of delve more into the into the um into my black side of my family but as I mentioned the the lore was that our our great my great grandfather was full-blooded Cherokee and I, a lot of black people assume that there's some native blood in, in their in their in their genetics and and it should also be assumed that there's some Caucasian blood too um, with the history there and so I, I did an African ancestry DNA test. I did not do ancestry.com and African ancestry is cool because African ancestry gives you specific tribes that your that your DNA points to. So it could say your your um, your Yoruba. It could say you are Ashanti or Zulu or whatever, um, and and that's that's a really powerful tool because the others basically say, oh, you are from people from Ghana, or Benin, Togo, whatever. And it's like that's great, but there's a ton of different cultures that of people who live there and a ton, ton of different ethnicities and 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 whatever. So I liked what African Ancestry did, and I I did that test. Now they do a test based on your Y and X chromosomes. And without getting into all the genetics, since my mom is white, I could only do the Y chromosome one since the Y chromosome is given from father to son, to son, to son. Mm -hmm. So when I did that last summer, it came back and said that my Y chromosome was of a Portuguese man. And I was so upset. (laughs) I was like, no, (laughs) but the paperwork said that it's not uncommon for about 25% of the males who do the Y chromosome test. It does tend to come back European. Mm -hmm. And if, Jaslyn's. If if a man in Jaslyn's family did the same, it would lend it would give additional evidence to whether or not you know a white man was involved with with a a, a female ancestor of hers. Um, That's one way to. That's why that's so common, unfortunately. Um, But what was Mm. weird for me though was that it was a Portuguese man. Like the Portuguese did not have any colonies in the United States, Mm. so. That I I, I, went, I went back and re- listened to and read audio histories of of the Portuguese and how and I, I kind of had a vague understanding about how they were basically terrorizing Africa and the Indian 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 trading system in the Indian Ocean and all that. Anyway, so that was a journey, um, and so yeah, I kind of I kind of just did a did a little bit of history from that perspective but from what Jazlyn described I really want to do more of that and and I have a cousin uh who's actually my, my dad's cousin she's a um she's a professor at a University of Pennsylvania and I need to get back in touch with her cuz she she's a she's a scholar and she's done a lot about our own family history mm-hmm. and I need to d- get in touch with her to see you know what she has and and how I can help and and try to continue our our investigation into that side of the family on my white side it's pretty simple like they they all immigrated within around the turn of the the twentieth century um, from Ireland from French Canada and from Italy hmm. and they all settled in the Rhode Island area they worked in textiles and 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 in, in the utility industry actually and uh, you know a hundred years later hundred twenty years later I'm here right yeah I <laughs> guess a well, hundred years later I'm here mm-hmm. so.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. Your your Y chromosome. You were hoping for some uh, some cultural connections, and you got Portuguese. Yeah, I was
2: I was so I was so <laughs> upset. Oh, but then for Christmas light <laughs> that's got to be. It was very disappointing. Like, oh my gosh, I was so blown. <laughs> and then like I knew the Portuguese had a problematic history, and then I I read more about it, and I was like, yo, this is terrible. Like, they were literally no, Portugal
1: was just, it was up there with, with all of so, them, man. Yeah, oh, there. I know. It's,
2: it's so bad. Oh, my God. It was horrible. I was like, damn were, it.
1: <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, you know, the slave trade, you know, happened all along the West Coast, even down into the southern southern Africa. So, yeah. you know, maybe Angola, you know, was a Portuguese colony or Brazil. You never know where you came Yeah, Yeah, so. and that's the Does crazy it? thing.
2: Yep, I have no idea. I have no idea. The, the thing I forgot to mention is that my aunt did the maternal test. So she did her X chromosome, mm-hmm. which comes from the, the mother, of course. And again, doing African ancestry, the results came back that we are linked to the Yoruba and Heshwa people. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that is a specific ethnic tie that we have to to the continent of Africa. And, and, and Yoruba is a, a huge, huge ethnicity that's, that's uh, you know, a lot of Nigerians are Yoruba. Um, but Yoruba people are kind of throughout, like,
1: yeah, and even in the Americas, people that keep that those ties to European culture.
2: That's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Right. In the Caribbean. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So that's a. So that was that was a very big moment for me. Um. I. I. You know, got a little emotional a little bit. Like, oh, all right. Like. Uh, not not and I and I told some friends this. Though, like I, I felt like my blackness was validated, and and some people are like that's stupid. Like you're you're black. I don't know. I just that, it still meant something to me. I mean, my my cultural upbringing in my house wasn't necessarily all that black. Um, it was kind of it was kind of a, a meld of things. And I don't know. Like other than me intentionally learning and and absorbing more more black culture and blackness. Um, I don't know. That was just a meaningful step for me.
1: Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, maybe one day I'll do that test. I've gotten different well, you know, unscientific people who are like, "Oh, you look Fulani. Oh, are you are you Ethiopian? Oh, you're, you know, like everywhere I go, are You're from here, right?" So, you know, to know exactly Well, you can't know exactly because you could be from a lot of places, but to do that test, that would be pretty cool.
2: Yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised if some of those people are right cuz I know of people that have done those tests. And then if you look back, if you look at like people who are, who are like 100%, you know, whatever those ethnicities are, you can see that you can see the connections. It's crazy. Like, so if, if somebody, like, if somebody is like Ashanti and says, oh, you, you might, are you Ashanti? Like, you know, whatever, like, they're probably right. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's really amazing.
1: Yeah. And I don't know about you, but as, you know, a black American who, you know whose ancestry goes back a long time in this country so you no know, direct ties to africa you know if an african person says to me oh you look like you're from my country i you know i take it with pride i'm like thank you you know mm-hmm. i appreciate that you know i feel like a little connection to that so mm-hmm.
2: yeah oh have you read searching for zion no
1: it's on my list that's another
2: good book that's a good one it's about like finding finding home for black americans mm. um which is which is just a really good book.
1: I'll definitely have to check that out. So, uh, our next episode we had Lisa's sister come on to you know, discuss Lisa's you know childhood and past a little more in depth. Uh so Kyle, can you tell us a little bit about your siblings and if they had a similar childhood experience to you or not?
2: Yeah, my siblings. I'm the oldest of three, so my brother is three years younger than me. My sister is eight years younger than me. And she calls me old. and I don't think that's true. But um, but um, it's it's interesting because we each kind of experienced race slightly differently. And I actually don't want to speak for them, um, but I don't know that they'd be comfortable hopping on a podcast later. But um, it's 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 just interesting because the high school I went to, as I as I mentioned, my neighborhood experienced white flight. And other neighborhoods in the surrounding areas did too, and so by the time my sister got to my high school um it was the school was even more black I think it was maybe fifty percent black at that point um and and that was a good thing, but it also it also it was it also kind of changed from an economic standpoint the school also changed from an economic standpoint so it was um it, it just had a different a different feel at that point. And I really should have asked her before this conversation to to get some of her perspective on that. Um, but really, all of us have embraced um, the complexity of our of our of our backgrounds, and I think we've all we all have embraced it in different ways. But we we understand that we are black, and that we also have this this you know we descend from white white immigrants as well. And it, you know I think we we we're all we all we are all pretty. Involved in our own way. My brother's kind of a, a business-minded person. He's involved with with some intriguing business ventures um, that are that are that are not just purely about profit. They're, they're they're looking at stuff that is that are also about like building up communities and strengthening Black communities, um, mm-hmm. Black and Brown communities. Um, you know, and and my sister is very active. She she traveled to India uh, for period uh, during college and then after college. Um, so she, and she she's big on linguistics. She she does nonprofit work, and so she she's very um, directly involved with, with, um, you know, helping, helping folks that are in difficult situations. And, um, so yeah, I think, I think we've all kind of experienced it slightly differently, but, uh, and we all kind of, it, it's kind of shaped our lives a little differently, but, um, hmm. but, uh, yeah, I think we're, we're, we all kind of, we all kind of, we talk about it fairly, fairly, a fair amount. That's another thing I didn't mention earlier when, when, uh, when we would go to family, like, you know, go up to Rhode Island for Thanksgiving or whatever, you know, years ago, my granddad would, would say hi. And then he would say, did you see what Bush did about this? And, da, 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 da. and so, and this is, this is my, my Italian uh, grandfather, mm-hmm. uh, by the way, both my, my, um my, my black grandfather passed away about nine years ago. Um, And so I only have one grandparent left and my, my grand, my, my white grandma died uh six years ago um and so so my, my 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 italian grandfather is the only one that's left and 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 he he, he just c- comes at you with like we we just talk about politics all day like this is what mm-hmm. we do so you know these these topics are usually off 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 brand for like work and certain families may may not talk about this type of stuff oh man we, we all go into it and so um and my uncle um is 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 also um he's born in angola he's cape verdian um, so he speaks Portuguese and he married um, my mom's sister and th- they live across the street from my granddad. So um, with with him and, and their kids, like we, we just we just have very, very vibrant conversations about all kinds of things, race, politics, eco- economics, sports, all that stuff. So we've always been we've always just been accustomed to having loud and sometimes right conversations about all the issues of the day.
0: No, that, that sounds great. I mean, I think that for many people, maybe the holidays are stressful because they can't have these conversations, but it's great that you guys, you know, really savor that time together.
2: Yeah. And we don't always agree, but it mm. there's never, there's never any, any real hard feelings about it. Like, you know, but it's, it's always fun.
1: I feel like the holidays are the time to get into it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. based on all the movies and TV shows, I see this when, you know, people get really upset at each other because <laughs> they do talk about these things. Yeah.
2: yeah fair enough.
0: Yeah. So let's go to our um, next episode, which uh, which was with Serena and how she is educating herself and, you know, just listening back on to your your childhood, your college years. You know, it seems like you've you know, been on this journey a, a long time already. Um, so can you talk a bit abor- a bit more about the process and, and kind of what you're doing now?
2: Yeah, I kind of just always knew that it was on me to understand this country and this world from a perspective that's meaningful to me and accurate for me. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, to my parents' credit, they they definitely would correct certain things from my history courses. Like, the, like mm. my least favorite historical figure in this country is Christopher Columbus, mm. like that holiday needs to be done away with. And I even think we should change the name of the district of Columbia. Cause like, there's no reason that man should, mm. there's no reason he'd never touched
1: the United States of America. He never touched it.
2: Right. And just even looking at his behavior when he was here, I mean, imperialistic, capitalistic, you know, racist, ex- misogynistic, like literally everything. He was exploitive in every way. Just a tyrant, just an absolute tyrant. We digress. <laughs> but yeah, I guess education was a big deal in my family. Um, it's actually a family effort, too. I think my uncle gave me the book, Lies My Teacher Told Me, maybe in college, or maybe it was in high school, uh, by James Lowen. And then I also read uh, A People's History of the United States by Howard Zinn. So I guess it was a family effort to just kind of stay up to speed and, and aware of like the actual history of our country and our people. They, they they just were always about like the history you got in school was probably good because Montgomery County didn't do the was was decent at at, at education uh, from a history standpoint. And I'm thankful as well because the teaching body was also very diverse and fairly reflective of the student body. Uh, some of my favorite teachers were Black: Mr. Hunt, Mr. Walker, Mrs. Powell. Those were all history teachers, and I, you know, some non-Black teachers as well that had a big impact on me were Miss Poloni, Miss Schatzer, Mr. Zaleski, of course, in physics. Um, but they were all they were all good, and they and they kind of broke it down. If, even if the book said something that was off color, they'd be like, "Well, that wasn't really the case. Like, eh, that wasn't real." Um, And so, yeah, I always took it upon myself to just like watch documentaries and read and listen to things that that were were the, the full and real, true history about the United States. Knowing that you know this country likes to to make things comfortable, and and the history is to not,
1: lie, to lie, to lie. There you go. Last month,
2: yeah, exactly, to lie <laughs> for sure. Um, make it plain. So yeah, I don't know. So I've always been a nerd and a documentary kid. I remember, I remember, I took a a sociology class in the summer in college. And I, so this is a summer class, right? I, I'm in this social, this is like social 105. Like it's a basic level course. I'm in there with like football players and like athletes and they're, they're, they're trying to get the credit, you know what I mean? They're, they're not necessarily, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're just trying to get the credit. Right. So the teacher says, how many of you have watched the the documentary, the corporation before? And I raised my hand and I'm like, damn it. Why did I raise my hand? Nobody else is raising their hand. <laughs> I, I of course had already seen that documentary cause I'm that kind of nerd. Um, So to answer the question, yeah, I've kind of just always known that, you know, you got to You got to learn as much as you can about things and and hopefully from from people from people directly. Like I read um, the autobiography of the president of uh, Benjamin. Benjamin Mays. Morehouse. Yes. 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 With so few clues. You got it. (laughs) Thank you so much. I read the autobiography of Benjamin Mays, who was the president of Morehouse, and Ah, like just a phenomenal, like, oh my goodness. Like what he and his wife went through um, and what he did at Morehouse college is just amazing. My brother, my brother went to Morehouse. So that I, it was there that I was, became accustomed, became familiar with, with um, Dr. Mays and goodness. Like, so I I just love reading books, love reading, you know, direct, direct histories, um, memoirs, but, but obviously just, you know, anything that'll help round out my understanding of, of the world we live in. Hmm. And I'm on Goodreads, too. Plug for Goodreads.
1: Goodreads. <laughs> All the books I wish to read and probably will never read.
2: Yeah, I feel like for the past year or two, Jasmine and I have gone back and forth about, like, she, she might have read something first, and then I read it, or then I read something, and she reads it a little later, and then we we, we always have some good conversations about some of those books. So that's, that's the Goodreads is awesome for that.
1: Yeah, that's why I like Goodreads. I can spy on my friends and see what they're reading. <laughs> Get some good tips on the next books to read. Okay, not spying. I can socially <laughs> connect with my friends and see what they're reading.
2: I think the term is socially stalk them.
1: Socially stalk. Gotcha. I can stalk them. <laughs> I can so- stalk them in a socially acceptable manner. How's that? Right, right. Yes. Um, so in that episode, we also talked about self-care. And there was a post on Instagram that I, I posted to my stories and I don't know if you remember, I think it was NBC or some, you know, uh, broadcast network channel had the more, you know, and it had a star, the more, you know, they had like a, a teachable moment or whatever. I don't know, but they posted, it was like the more, you know, symbol. And then underneath it says, uh, the more you hate it here <laughs> talking about, you know, the, the state of the world and the country. And particularly after, you know, Brianna Taylor, the decision about, um, charging or not charging the officers that killed her for Mm -hmm. killing her Um, Mm -hmm. so uh, yeah Kyle you know James Baldwin also said to be a conscious person man or woman in this country is to be in perpetual state State of rage rage." Mm -hmm. so tell me Kyle how do you how do you take care of your mental state while you know getting all this knowledge knowing all these things that you know happen in this country any self-care tips
2: I watch Parks and Rec
1: I love Parks and Rec (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> better than the office, hot too. It
2: is better than the office. It is. I, I Parks and Rec is hilarious. Um, I also just love music. Mm-hmm. I make music. Yes, which you do. You have also heard. So um, that's. Stay tuned, honestly,
1: listeners.
2: <laughs> a Little plug. Um, yeah, so making music has been my outlet since I was really. I started playing the sax when I was fifth grade, and then I kind of started p- producing when I was. Started making beats when I was in high school, and then I started recording freshman year in college. So, um, yeah, that, that's really been my release for real. I'm not a big TV watcher, to be honest with you. Like I, I really don't watch any TV. I don't watch a lot of movies, um, especially with having a son, like I'm pretty busy with all that. So, um, if I get a free moment, I'm usually making music. And uh that's that's my my release. I also try to read novels too. Um I it occurred to me several like about 4 or 5 years ago that I don't I read so much serious stuff. I'm like, man, this is <laughs> this is a lot of information. <laughs> I should read some things that are less serious. So I've read some things that are just sillier. I've read like like a John Stewart book. I've read like read a, read um Satchel Page's memoirs which wasn't political, it was just about him and baseball, which is which was a lot of fun. Um so I, I try to read some stuff with some levity and uh some some things that are read some things that are a little lighter. So it's not mm-hmm. all serious all the time. And I exercise too. I love sports. That's a that's a nice safe distraction, although it's not all the way safe. I mean I I get like this year with with all the you know all the sports were doing their black lives matter stuff and I was really just I'm a huge baseball fan. I couldn't stand with major league baseball. They were so late and just like phew, I just felt so Ugh. Huh? Uh, I get frustrated with that too sometimes but if you just can separate yourself from that and just in, enjoy the sport like you know sometimes that's a release I don't pay attention to the NFL though um, I just won't do it I, that's just I I used to love football play football in high school can't do it anymore uh, hmm. I'll still play flag football every once in a while but the NFL is just super it just reeks MAGA to me these days I just can't do it yeah I can't do it Sorry, so a question about how I how I decompress is about how I'm stressed out again. <laughs> yeah, so sports and music, sports and music, and having a kid too, you know, just diving into nature. My kid loves, like, insects and, like, I don't know, dinosaurs, and we've been watching Avatar The Last Airbender and stuff like that. So I don't know. There, there's, there's enough things to get into and, and exercising and all that that just kind of keeps you healthy, keeps you mentally okay during these times. Yeah.
1: All good all good yeah. uh, suggestions.
2: <laughs> so some of us in college when we met Jasmine, we were like, oh that's a cool name. And then we were like, yeah, like like Jazzy Faye or or Jazzy Jeff. <laughs> so we so we started calling her <laughs> Jeffay. <laughs> I don't think you ever liked that nickname,
1: but I, I honestly I did not. Jeff First <laughs> like of all, it has
2: Jeff in it. I know. It's <laughs> the worst nickname ever. It was terrible. <laughs>
1: Like only, only you. Yeah. Um, Sorry about call that.
0: Would you call? Would you call Kyle?
1: How can you shorten Kyle? I mean I've never had a nickname. can it get much now. shorter than that.
2: I've never had a nickname. I'm not on social media. No because nickname. I don't have
1: not a even name. like a, a street name. Like what was you? What were you known in the streets?
2: I wasn't on those streets. <laughs> I wasn't on the any, streets of Montgomery County. Streets. I was on those streets. Let that be clear. <laughs> I, so when right, I was, I about your producer name. I mean, you gotta have a producer name. I, yeah, my producer name is Frequency. Mm, mm. Oh, which was okay. cool. It's spelled R F. I mean, sorry. Wow, R F. Nice. Spelled. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's hard to pronounce. I'm is cutting that Icelandic because I can. Nor Nordic. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> my producer name is Frequency, spelled F R E E Q U E N S E E. So it's like free, freedom, and C visually, oh, like, because okay. you know. I hope my yeah, music is liberating that. and visualizing kind of thing. I don't know something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. but uh, okay. But I never had a nickname in high school, college, mm-hmm. nothing like that. Like in, in sports, like you know, I played high school sports and they they gave everybody a nickname which was super forced and awkward. And my nickname was like Oreo because I mixed. I'm like, come on, guys. Oh really? no! Yeah, it's ter- no. It's like, yo, bro, for real. Oh,
1: no. So yeah. that's terrible. Come on,
2: I don't and, like that. Oh, yeah, know. yo, that. that there was some, <laughs> that reminds me of a story. There was a guy in my high school baseball team. He was a, he was a really good, really good baseball player. Not, not, not the best on history though. Um, Cause like I mentioned my friend who's Dominican, like my friend was speaking, my friend who's Dominican was speaking and the, the other baseball player who I'll name, I'll call him John. Um, John was like, speak, speak English. Come on. We can't understand you. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Mm. Like, that's inappropriate like you know whatever oh and he said something about like you know go go back across the border or something and i was like first of all he's from the dominican republic that's an island okay like there was there was no like legit like there was no land border (laughs) to cross for real like so that's just stupid and i was like plus you're irish like y'all just got here like 100 years ago he's like what are you talking about we've been here since 1493 i'm like first of all columbus did the 14 columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492 but he never touched the united states of america so go back home to ireland like go go back (laughs) I was just like, and this is high school. Like, I'm just like, yo, I, I, I don't have time. I don't have time for people mm-hmm. that are ignorant <laughs> and don't know. Right. And don't so, have the time. But so, but on the contrary, mm-hmm. like my, my, like my friend from work, like mm-hmm. he, he didn't know everything, but he, he, he asked in a way that was like, hey, you know, I, I really don't know about this is like, I don't, I'm not even sure how to ask this, but, but can I ask this? It's like, yeah, sure. Go for it. But if you're going to be, if you're going to be ignorant and then be loud about it and be mm-hmm. wrong. I'm gonna check you like I don't have time for that like Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) so there are some people you do have the time for yeah like I do yeah
2: (laughs) yeah some some people yeah it it depends it depends on my energy
1: Kyle didn't have the time in high school guys (laughs) no (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> no, nah, I, I had to check that. That was just some blatantly and I have Irish in my family too, so I'm like, yo, I, I know Irish history because 'cause I'm Irish too, motherfucker. Like, get nah, we're not nah, nah, nah. <laughs> we're, we're not mm. I'm not gonna let you dog my man out like this. Like, he's your best third Ooh. baseman, like get out of here. Like and even even it wasn't a good third baseman, like mm. he's a human being, like give you know, goodness gracious, like but Yeah, yeah there was another there's another example there's another story in high school where <laughs> I told you, my, friendship, my friends were diverse. I didn't really get into it that much, but my, I had a Jewish friend. One of my best friends was black. One of my other best friends was, uh, was Chinese. Um, another was from Bangladesh. And another, another guy who's just white, he was, he was Italian. So this Latinx girl, she was like, she was going down the line. She was like, oh yeah, you're black, you're black, you're white, well you're Jewish. And she gets to me, she's like, well you don't count, you're nothing.
1: Hmm.
2: And I was like, okay. Thanks. <laughs> so I don't know. People just didn't know how to, how, to, how, to, how to place me back then. But I feel like, you know, that, that's changed a little bit. Oh, another question I got in college was like, so did your mom's family own your mm-hmm. dad's family? What? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What? Oh, oh my yeah.
1: God. Oh, I, I don't know. Un- <laughs> what? Oh. In college?
2: In college. In college.
1: Who? Uh, and why? I'm not going to And when? Who, and, who, and how? And
2: when. Well, I kind of alluded and to And where? <laughs> I mean, when, but uh, no. Yeah. And I was like, no, no. And it was easy for me. I was like, now my wife family immigrated here like a hundred years ago. So (laughs) now I know that for a fact. (laughs)
1: Wow. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) So, I mean, what do you, what do you think of, of uh, mixed or biracial people? Do you think they should have to choose a side or, you know, how, how can they, how can both sides be celebrated in your opinion?
2: It's tough. It's, very, very hard to do that. That's really the answer. It's very, very mm-hmm. difficult to do that. I think for mixed families, it's extremely important. So I, I'm, a, I'm a believer that culture comes from the mother, and I think I mentioned this when we were talking offline with Nina. Um, you know, so mm-hmm. for mixed families where, where the the white per- the white parent is the father, and you know the the non white parent is the mother. I think it's a little bit easier because the women are typically the the, the purveyors of culture. I know in in um in the, in in the Jewish faith, like if your mom is Jewish, you're Jewish. I think that's kind of mm-hmm. a a, um, a lean into that mm-hmm. idea that the women are the are the um, purveyors of culture, and so I think it's easier in those situations. But it's just hard. It like just it's just legit hard. I mean, I think you know. The, the thing I would say is just to have your kids exposed to authentic cultural experiences and places. So like, you know, whether it's whether it's a language like you all were talking about with Serena and, and, and Lisa, you and Nina were talking about this too. Um, names, names for chil- names for children, certain cultural norms, celebrations, religious, religious things. Um, I heard a podcast. I know Switch had an episode about people who, ad- who are white people who adopt non-white children. And mm-hmm. they had people call in who were who were the children of white people mm-hmm. uh, adopted. And um, mm-hmm. and in situations like that, if you're if you're a white couple and you've adopted a black baby, like take your kid to black stuff like your kid needs to be at the cookout. Like, your kid needs to be at black church. Your kid needs to be in black spaces. If you are not uncomfortable as a white person, you are not in the right place like that mm-hmm. kid needs to be comfortable, which probably means as you as a parent, you will be uncomfortable. And so for, for a mixed family like each parent should be in places where they're uncomfortable at a certain, certain context. Like if you're, you know, Latinx and black, like maybe there's, you know, a black barbershop or a black church or whatever and and the Latinx parent is uncomfortable. Or maybe there's like another celebration, like, you know, you know, another, another, something like a quince or something that's going on, on the Latinx side. And maybe the black, the black person's a little uncomfortable because like they don't speak Spanish and a lot of people are speaking Spanish and it's a little uncomfortable. You know, I, I think for, for, that's why it's so difficult. Because what what, tend, what can be a, a downside to it is if you just kind of let everything be blah and vague to avoid that discomfort. That's when you lose the culture, and that's when mm. you lose the thing that really makes us all great. Mm. Um, and that's that's what. And, and I, I'm not going to say being mixed is, is a bad thing. Yeah. Um, it's just it's just a challenge. It's just a challenge. And to really do mm. right by all the cultures, it just takes a lot of mm. intention and being a, being deliberate advocates and deliberate, deliberate curators of culture for for your kids.
1: Mhm. I think um the show This Is Us, which is about a white couple that has triplets but one dies and so they adopt a black baby the same day their babies are born. Um they talk about well they have a couple episodes about the black child like you know looking at different black people and you know trying to see if they're related to them and you know they start getting uncomfortable like you know, what are you doing? Where are your parents? He's like, but I'm I'm different than you. So, oh. you know, obviously you know, so they start taking him to, I think, a black karate uh, place where he learns karate with other black children and they start, you know, getting him some black friends, you know, other black influences. So they do talk about that in that show. Um, and also a good, I think, a. I mean, I don't know her life, but a good representation of like Someone who's mixed and but celebrating both cultures is Naomi Osaka, mm. uh, the tennis star that just won the U.S. Open. She, yeah. is, she has mm. a Haitian father and a Japanese mother and, you know, she represents both. Like she types in Japanese on Instagram and she was just in Haiti, you know, hanging out there. So mm. um, I guess it can be done.
2: But uh, yeah, it it's be very difficult. Yeah. Yeah, Osaka a great example. I and I actually went to the U.S. Open two years ago. She's amazing. She's like such a fierce competitor. She's so good. I um, love her. And yeah, the way she, the way she balances both is really mm. um, is really refreshingly good. I remember. I mean, you look at Tiger Woods. I would say epic fail um, <laughs> in terms of that. Poor but Tiger. Osaka is doing mm. a great job with that. And and uh, as as parents, like it's it's. You know, and for osaka like she she's the child right she's she's at an age where she can she can lean into it and she can do it on her own um but it really starts with the parents and that's a huge i mean being a parent is a huge mm-hmm. responsibility cuz a the person's got to not be a jerk and be a decent person um, which is obviously our 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 top concern but to then add in all this cultural stuff and to make sure that they're not to make sure they're they're anti-racist and anti-misogynistic and you know anti-homophobic and all that, like you know all of those other things, it's, it's a lot. It's definitely a lot to do, you know. It's, it's, it's not an easy job. Nobody except <laughs> being a parent is an easy job, right?
1: <laughs> right, yeah. That is true. You mentioned that your brother went to Morehouse College, which is a historically black university or college. Um, so did you consider going to an HBCU or was that in your... In your sights when you were picking colleges,
2: I did not. Um, last episode, you talked, you asked Serena about problematic views that she had, and I'm glad you didn't ask me that directly because there's a ton of them that I had growing up. <laughs> Wait, um, let's go back. No, what no, problematic no, 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 no. Views? too late, too late. <laughs> that episode's done. <laughs> but uh, um, what? So when I was looking at colleges, my and one of my best friends was black, and he he went to he ended up going to um, Howard. And I remember I remember having a conversation with him and I had the problematic view that, oh, why would I go to Howard? Like, I, I need to go to a college that's going to that has the racial demographics of the real world. So I'm ready for the real world and blah, 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 blah. And mm-hmm. so I, 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 you know, I was mistaken. Like, so I, I did not have any HBCUs in my purview for college. Um, of course, I met you at the University of Maryland. And it's funny when you were saying the colleges that you looked at, I, I looked at some of the same ones. I looked at Pitt, I looked at Virginia Tech, <laughs> um, Tulane. I think I think did you mention Tulane? I no, so. I didn't. Never mind. But at least those three. Um, so yeah, no, I did not look at any of them. And looking back, I wish I did. I really do. I really wish I did. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I, I obviously, I definitely see the value of HBCUs. My brother went to Morehouse. Um, he he kind of, I think Morehouse had people at. high school and he had a great conversation with one of the guys there you know that that represented morehouse at his at the high school and and he he liked it he loved it and he he went down to morehouse and stayed in atlanta for i think seven more years after being after going to morehouse so he he just loved he loved atlanta loved Mm -hmm. loved so much about being down there um and uh so yeah he he uh, so yeah I, i i grew i grew to appreciate that experience both from my friends that went there and also from uh from um, from his experience as well. And then my sister turned around and went to the University of Pennsylvania when Ivy League mm-hmm. on us all, and we're like, well, psh, well all right. <laughs> so she's the brainiac, but... Uh... of fun listening to you all talk about all these topics. And Lisa, I just really appreciate your willingness to step into this new territory and your openness to just say that it's new and say that, say, just be as honest as you've been with your learning experience. That's been very, um, it's very impactful. Um, and I think hopefully listeners hear you and hear your honesty and you know, if they are anywhere near like where you are in, in this journey, I hope that they see you as an ally and see you as a, as a, as a guidepost and a, and a, a voice of a voice of solidarity as you, as you and others kind of go through this journey. And, and, and Jaslyn, I really appreciate your, your speaking up. You know, I know as a black person in this country, um, it's, This country is not always safe for us. That's very evident in the news. Um, But it's it's not even it's not it's not always it's not it's the unsafe aspect of this country is not as dramatic as what we've seen in the news. It's also just the little things that you've experienced in work. And I know Jasmine, you talked about some of these like. With the white, the white guy was like, what's up? You know, like whatever. Like mm-hmm. those are all otherizing experiences that make you feel somewhat of an imposter. And you should not feel like an imposter in the country that you're, we should not feel like an imposter in a country that our ancestors literally built. But that's the perpetual mm-hmm. state of, of blackness in this country. We've always been otherized and we've never been embraced as just Americans. And so I, I commend you for finding the courage to, to speak and to have these conversations and to have, you know, to, to, you know, provide, provide a safe space for Lisa and for Lisa, for you to, for you to have the courage to do what you're doing. It's been a pleasure listening to you all listening to conversations and having the offline conversations. Y'all are really dope people. And I really, I I really hope that like more of, more of that, like more of that, (laughs) more more of your personalities come out in future seasons um, because y'all are really a joy to talk to. And, um, yeah, it's it's really been a pleasure and I, I definitely look forward to to more with more working more with you all.
1: Thanks Kyle.
0: Yeah, thanks. You you always you always know what to say. I know.
1: I'm speechless. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know I has something.
0: <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> well, I'm I mean I'm I'm honored, Kyle. I'm honored to be here to be part of the conversation. Um I love that, Jaslyn, and you both keep challenging me um, to be out of my comfort zone. Um, so I just really appreciate it as well. And Kyle, you always have such great insights. Um, you are an excellent producer. You, you know, people have compared the sound of our podcast to NPR. I'm just throwing <laughs> oh, it out there. So it is that good, and you really make us sound like real professional. You know really encouraged us to buy mics so that we could, you know, really get our message across. That was really big, big for us. Um, and Jasmine, I know that peeling away the parfait layers uh, so this yes, is, very, yes. this is very fun for
1: me, yes. too. Yeah, I think we got down to one yogurt layer, you know. We're at the granola Ooh. now, you know? Yeah. Yes, Kyle. We we really appreciate you joining our team. Our um, team was not complete so much. until you joined. Thank so you. So much. So I'm very humbled. We're in this together it. now.
2: And I guess our next our next challenge is getting right. a travel mic for all of our guests to make sure that their quality is. Yes, is, uh, <laughs> we need to. We'll, yeah. we'll get that. We'll get that right. Second season, y'all. Promise.
1: <laughs> we promise. That's our show. Thanks so much, Kyle, for joining us for this episode. It was a really great conversation. And we really enjoyed learning more about you and your experience growing up, um, and what you're up to now, which we haven't talked about yet. But you actually have launched a podcast called "Make America Whole." So, Kyle, tell us a little bit about that podcast and where people can find it.
2: Yeah, thank you for the thank you for the plug. Um, one of the things that I've done with with actually my brother and some other uh, some some friends. Um, is we started a a nonprofit organization or an activist organization called Make America Whole. Uh, And we created this organization to be a driving force in the what we hope to be a nationwide push for reparations for African-Americans. And um, part of that organization, we're we're hoping that everybody will recognize the need for reparations. Uh, And uh, we're hoping that people can visualize the impact that it can have on this country. And then hopefully we're going to be organizing the action towards making reparations a reality in this country and you know we're kind of pushed by Tanahasi Coates is saying that until we reckon with our history uh America will not be whole so you know that is kind of what what I've been working on this summer as like from an organizational standpoint and as a part of that we launched a podcast that is called Make America Whole and so my colleague Lawrence and I talk talk about reparations and we've had a few episodes. We're not quite at the racism's pace of one per week. That is truly a a professional pace <laughs> and, a, and a, and it takes a lot of effort. And so I commend you on your ability to do that. Um, so we're, we're, we're working on content we're working on getting our stuff, um, you know, ready for podcasting. Um, we're also working on a few other things organizationally. So there's quite a few iron, irons in the fire from that perspective. So um, appreciate you mentioning that you can find it on anywhere where you get podcasts, Stitcher, um uh Spotify, Apple Podcasts, I believe, and, and the others. So you can find it by searching Make America Whole. And uh, you know, we appreciate any feedback you have on that.
0: Yeah, you guys have two episodes out, I think, right?
2: Yes. Yep. And we've recorded a third and I'm I'm editing that one. So that should be coming out soon.
0: Yeah, it's I mean, if you listeners I did not know anything except the word reparations but to listen to them talk about it I mean I'm on board so well done <laughs> appreciate it
2: appreciate it
1: yeah it's definitely good and you know they they really get deep into the history um and what rep- reparations would look like or could look like i mean there's a lot of literature out there and they they've researched it all for you and kind of and kind of break it down for you and they also include some some news right i think you have a, a news moment yep. at the end so you're getting your history lesson you're getting you know pumped up you know for reparations <laughs> and then you're getting your your latest news so it's really good i encourage everybody to check it out
2: thank yep. you very much
1: so we talked about a lot we basically you know went over our whole season here so for today's better world nuggets
2: wait what's a better world nugget i don't know what that is. <laughs>
1: Oh for for the uninitiated, the better world nugget is something you know we've learned throughout this conversation that we could take forward with us, be it big or small, to to help us see this world in a better light or make it a better place and this conversation made me realize that we should support our friends. Kyle, you've been a great support to us. Um, using your expertise and your your passion to help us put this podcast out and we really appreciate your support. And, you know, that that makes people um, more motivated to pursue their passions when they know their friends are supporting them. So I would say, you know, uh, find out what your friends are passionate about, see how you can support them. And, you know, let's move this thing forward. Lisa, do you have one?
0: Yeah. For uh, today's Better World Nugget, uh, really reminded me, Jaslyn, of um, one of our Friendship Circle episodes where you asked me, you know, are you going to am I going to, you know, break out of my comfort zone and my shell to seek new friends? And at that time, I said no. And I would like to retract that and say, yes, I would like to expand my friend circle because, you know, getting to know you, getting to know Kyle, like and I think something that our, our mutual friends said, you know, we really miss out on like a part of humanity when we don't seek friends um, of all different cultures and races. So, you know, I'm going backward and saying, yes, I would love to expand my friend circle. And this conversation made me realize, you know, how much of the of the world I'm missing when I don't seek those friendships. How about you, Kyle?
2: My Better World Nugget is similar to Jazlyn's. I, I really appreciate you two doing what you're doing because I kind of had a, a low key goal to do podcasting. And I didn't necessarily want to be the ones talking all the time. I actually, that was probably the the latter, the last thing I wanted to do. I really <laughs> just wanted to test my production skills and like, and see if I could actually like curate the audio for, for podcasting. And I just appreciate you all, you know, you're, I mean, yo, you all are so professional and so organized with this. It's really been a joy to work with you all. And so I guess it's it, it was an inspirational thing for me to to not hesitate to actually do what the, do what it is that that I want to do and to and not not to hesitate doing things that I love and you've kind of and i 'll be honest too like you know I was a little slow my music slowed down when my son was born and I, I tried to get you know I've, periodically i've tried to get back into into my music and stuff like that this podcast <laughs> this podcast got me in the music flow quite a bit and I challenged myself to try to make original music for it all. So, um, the better old nugget is, is just, uh, it's just an appreciation for you all doing what you care about and what you think, what you're passionate about and realizing that that's been inspirational to me to try to do the same in my life.
1: Awesome. Yeah. And speaking of original music, we're going to have a mixtape come out with all of Kyle's original music throughout the season Um, Be on the lookout for that. We'll be posting about that very soon. Mm -hmm.
2: Yes, indeed. We appreciate any support you can offer from that. Thank you very much.
0: (laughs) Well, thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Racism Podcast. Before you go, be sure to like or subscribe wherever you're listening to stay up to date when we come back for season two. And please let us know what response have you had to the first season of the Racism Podcast what topics would you like us to cover for the next season? We would love to hear from you.
1: Yes, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Podcast, And on our blog, racismspodcast.wordpress.com. And one more time, that's racisms, spelled R-A-C-E-I-S-M-S. Peace, everyone.
0: Be safe. Music for this episode by Jasmine Duke and Kyle Carson. This episode was produced and edited by Kyle Carson.